902 Brewing Company is the official beer of the Wager Pager podcast. Our friends over at 902 are putting out some of the best local craft beer in the Garden State. Log on to 902brewing.com to check out some of our favorite beers, like Juicy City IPA and Path Pale Ale. Or come grab a growler at the 902 Brewing Company tap room opening soon on Pacific Avenue in Jersey City, New Jersey. Are you tired of losing at sports betting? Start winning with Kingpin.pro. With Kingpin.pro, you can follow proven sports bettors and handicappers. Each user is required to put in their picks prior to each game. Kingpin scores and ranks users for total winnings, not units, as well as win percentage. This gives you, the sports better, the ability to follow not just winning cappers, but more importantly, consistent winning cappers. You can easily get instant notifications of picks by downloading the Kingpin.pro iOS or Google Play app. Download the app and register with promo code WAGER. That's promo code WAGER, and you'll get a 10% discount off your purchase. Get pumped, get psyched. It's the Wager Pager podcast with Chris Rogers and Brock Landers. Here we go. guys and welcome back to the wager pager pod where we talk about sports gambling make picks and conduct must-hear interviews with some of the sharpest minds in the industry i'm your host chris rogers you can follow me on twitter at wager pager chris and please follow the pod on ig and twitter at the wager pager this is season two episode seven recording live from van borst film studio here in hoboken new jersey That's right, we're coming to you from our home state of New Jersey that won the battle against the Supreme Court and made the regulation of sports betting all possible. We've got another great show for you guys today. We have Jake Williams, the VP of Legal and Regulatory Affairs for Sports Radar and the host of the Business of Betting podcast, dropping by the Van Voorst Film Studio for an exclusive interview. And we got College Football Week 6, NFL Week 5 picks coming your ways. And joining me, as per usual, my co-host, one of the sharpest gamblers I know, the man with an ever-growing number of betting outs, and someone who knows his way around the sports book. here he is, happy to be back betting baseball, Brock Landers. Thanks, Chris. Follow me on Twitter, guys, at BrockLanders41. So happy to be here. Another Wednesday. Seems like these things come around quicker and quicker, and we've got a lot of stuff to uh, to bet on this week. We got the MLB playoffs. We've got hockey. We got college football. Uh, we got regular professional football. We've got it all. Everything is uh, is in full swing. Basketball's coming. Great time to be a sports gambler. That's right. October, the best month of the calendar year to bet on sports. I know you're a big baseball guy. Major League Baseball postseason is here. Brock's betting again. Any action last night? Any action tonight? Oh, last night was a great kickoff uh, to, to the uh, the MLB playoffs, that's for sure. Um, crazy game. Uh, I had the, uh, the Brewers on the run line, uh, plus one and a half. Uh, I did have a future on them from back in April, so it sucked to lose that on a on a play like that. But it was good; it offset itself with the uh, the run line. But I did have the under under eight. I was uh, I got down on that on Tuesday. Uh, I saw some movement on it, and there was a little bit of back and forth, seven and a half to eight, 
back to seven and a half, back to eight, and then close seven and a half. Um, so I was able to find some uh, generous prices out there on that under eight. And uh, yeah, made a nice wager too on the first five innings. That was a sweat. Uh, 2-0 right off the board. Uh, in the first inning, I was, uh, you know, a little panicked there, but Scherzer settled down a little bit and, uh, you know, things got to where they needed, but a lot of drama. We got another great game on tonight and a lot of great games coming this weekend. And, uh, I think I'm going to bet against the Yanks. I think, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe take an early, uh, exit, uh, in the first round. Hey, I wouldn't be surprised, man. We got uh, tons of hitting, but not enough pitching. Do you have any uh, futures picks? Can I can I pick your brain here some for some picks? Uh, maybe uh, AL championship, NL championship, and World Series. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, it's going to be tough to beat Houston. Houston, I think, is the best team out there. Um, they've got it all. They've been there before. This team's got unfinished business uh, from last year. They added Granky at the deadline. You know, the, the time to win is now. Um, everybody's just firing on all cylinders. But from a betting perspective, they're the favorite. And if you want to make some money, you're going to got to go somewhere, you know, against some of these favorites. Then you have the Yankees. They're a public team as well. So their prices are, are pretty much, you know, useless at this point. And then same thing with the Dodgers. Everybody's got the Dodgers coming out of the NL. I think you'd have to look somewhere maybe like Atlanta, I think Atlanta has a lot of good value there. Um, not a lot of people talking about St. Louis. St. Louis does everything extremely well, and they really caught fire in the end there to uh, to win the Central. So I think you got uh, some good options there in the NL. In the AL, I think you're getting to a point where, again, Yanks, Astros, they're, they're a little bit too heavy. I think the Twins could pull the upset in the first round. I think they match up extremely well with the Yankees. I think they're almost carbon copies of each other as far as the teams are concerned. And, you know, no one's talking about the Twins. I think they're they're ready to uh, to turn some heads here. And uh, can't wait to get into it. It's going to be a great month of baseball. And uh, I just think looking forward, uh, you'll probably get either the Astros or the Dodgers, but I don't think we're getting a rematch of uh, two years ago. Very cool, very cool. Moving over to uh, college football. Did you happen to see the U- the end of the UNC and Clemson game? UNC goes for two and nearly beats Clemson at the last second. My opinion, I think it's a good choice by the coach. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You're playing a, a top-notch program like Clemson? Go for it. I mean, you know, you're not going to come there and, and uh, question yourself. You get down in that position, might as well go for it. I, I have no problems with that. Love the call by Mac Brown, like you said, going up against a top notch, you know, top four team in the country. You got to try to win that game in regulation because the numbers say the, the better team wins in overtime. Right. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that happened over the weekend, I don't know if this made a, a blip on the national radar, but it certainly uh, hits home here. Rutgers fires head coach Chris Ash halfway through the season. And uh, old Rutgers coach Greg Schiano seems to be the leader in the clubhouse to come back and uh, lead the Scarlet Knights. Also, rumors of Butch Jones and Jim Levitt. What do you think about that? Yeah, I was kind of surprised to hear Schiano, but I mean, he is he anywhere right now? He's not doing anything. I know he was linked to the Pats over the uh, the summer, and then he mysteriously left that job real quick. I don't know what went on there, but yeah, if I put on my tinfoil hat real quick, uh, people are saying that yeah, he was signed up to be the defensive coordinator for the Pats, and he uh, mysteriously right. backed out at the last second. Some people saying that he may have had some inside info uh, down in Piscataway that uh, they were looking to get rid of Chris Ash sooner than later. Which means uh, he wouldn't be able to like coach a full NFL season. He wouldn't be able to interview when the playoffs are happening, when the college football season is over. So, hey, you never know. Maybe he was looking to come back home. Yeah, and I mean, you look back at it historically now, I mean, you know, just going back from, what, the last uh, 15, 20 years, he he was pretty much the best guy they've ever had for the job. It's far in my lifetime, it feels like. He at least turned that program around. And uh, who knows, if he changed the culture once, he could probably do it again. 
Yeah, man. I think it, uh, it will really help with keeping uh, making a fence around the state of New Jersey and keeping that some of that homegrown talent. Moving over to the NFL, we got three undefeated teams left in the NFL. Uh, not surprising with New England and Kansas City, but San Francisco sitting at 3-0. What do you think about that? Yeah, San Francisco has surprised some people. Um, I think, though, that the schedule is going to get a little more difficult for them as we go along here. Uh, we'll actually get a good look at them this week. Uh, they're playing primetime against the Browns. Uh, that's going to be a terrific game. Get to see uh, Jimmy G in the spotlight there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, no surprise really with, with New England or Kansas City, like you mentioned, but uh, San Fran coming off the bye, and, uh, you know, they play in a pretty tough division. you got to look at it that way as well. The Rams, uh, even though they've been kind of up and down so far, and then you look over at Seattle, um, who's been playing pretty good for the most part. I mean, I know they fell a couple weeks ago to uh, New Orleans there at home, but uh, that's going to be a great division to really pay attention to, and uh, we'll see if anybody can solve the uh, the 49ers here as we go forward uh, into the NFL season in October. Yeah, finally a tough matchup for the 49ers, so let's see what happens. The Browns have been playing pretty pretty well the last couple weeks. we got a lot more of NFL and football action coming to you guys during our pick segment, but let's keep the show moving and move on to our interview with Jake Williams. All right, guys, our next interview with Jake Williams is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, 902 Brewing Co. Right now I'm sipping on the Path Pale Ale. It has a nice uh, Path Train map on it. It's like a 5.3 alcohol volume. It's a true Hoboken Pale Ale, smooth, crisp American Pale Ale. You'll pick up hints of citrus, floral, and grapefruit in the hop profile. Whether you're crossing state lines or staying the night in Jersey, enjoy a 902 Brewing Co. Path Pale Ale. What are you drinking, Jake? I have the My Way IPA. Uh, very nice. 6.7% alcohol. Uh, there's a little slogan on the back here. Through it all, I brewed it my way. So uh, very much recommend the, the My Way IPA. I've had the My Way. I like it a lot. Tonight, I'm actually sipping on the uh, Black Dynamite. It's a Black India Pale Ale, 7% alcohol. And uh, dark roasted malts team up with a bold hop profile to create this Black India Pale Ale. This is the beer that led to a brewery. Enjoy 902 Brewing Co. All right, guys, we are super excited about this week's guest. He is the Vice President of Legal and Regulatory Affairs at Sports Radar, the leading global provider of sports data intelligence. He's negotiated contracts with some of the world's biggest sports leagues, including the NHL, the National Football League, and the NBA. And he's also the creator and host of one of the best podcasts in the sports gambling space called The Business of Betting. Here he is, Jake Williams. You guys can follow Jake's pod on Twitter, at BettingPod. What's up, Jake? Welcome to the Wager Pager. Thanks for having me, Chris. Brock, it's a distinct pleasure to be here with you guys. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us here. So for the audience that doesn't know, you grew up actually in Australia. Um, Talking about sports betting here, what did you guys get in Australia? Did you have access to all the American Pro Leagues? Was there only certain stuff you guys got? Like, did, was there certain stuff that you followed? Kind of just give us a little background growing up in Australia. Yeah, so right back to the beginning, most Aussies will tell you, and it's still the same today, in Melbourne where I grew up, there's actually a public holiday for a horse race, which might sound pretty crazy, but if you can imagine the Kentucky Derby, I don't know if there's any public holidays in any states, maybe in Kentucky, but... In Melbourne, Australia, there's a there's a public holiday for that, and everyone would place a bet. If you're a seven-year-old kid, you'd have your pools, much like here in the U.S., with 
office pools and that type of stuff and you would get your horse and you might ask your mum or dad to place five, ten bucks on a horse or one dollar when you're a bit younger and that was kind of the start. From there, as you get more into gambling, as you get into your teenage years and from there it's going to the racetracks and and then sports comes along at a certain age where you realise you can bet on sports. A lot of retail shops in Australia like the TAB which you've probably seen in Europe with, with William Hill and even here in the US now, there's a lot more retail offerings like you have with um, with Fandle, the Meadowlands or, or a million others. So that was kind of how it started. It was horse racing for me and then it blended into sports betting and then it became both. And just being by being an Aussie, you, you're surrounded by betting. It's, it's ingrained in the culture and it's part of life. And, you know, that carried forward to, to today, certainly. Very cool. So horse racing got you into it. Then you switched to uh, sports. What sports did you play growing up in Australia? So it's funny. ESPN used to carry Australian rules football. I don't know if they still do, but I played Aussie rules football, which is the one where there's no shoulder pads. It's not rugby. Uh, it's it's played in certainly in Victoria, Melbourne, down the southeast, but throughout Australia, and it's it's probably the biggest sport in Australia. And I played that growing up. Uh, it was kind of in the family and. You know, we'd play tennis, we'd play cricket, we'd play most sports that most youngsters growing up play, and it was a combination. But certainly Aussie rules dominated once, you know, you hit 12, 13, 14. Throughout those teenage years, that was the number one. Was there certain American sports you paid more attention to that you were interested in, football, basketball, baseball, anything you didn't like, anything from the, you know, early stages? So I think basketball's probably the biggest, purely because it's easiest to play. And I would say baseball is probably relatively easy, but because of cricket being so prominent, I think that probably took center stage when it comes to the bat and ball sports. But a lot of people I know played and still play basketball. Some of the best Aussie rules players have a history with with basketball um, and they played it growing up and they use some of those skills with their awareness and, and being able to pass in close proximity to other players for Aussie rule skills. But I think for me anyway, my first trip to the U.S., uh, was probably the start of it. And then I got hooked on NFL and college football. And we would get from basically our final exams for university each year was end of September, start of October. And that coincided with the end of the Aussie rules football season. So we would have from October to February off from our Aussie rules games and from university. And as a 21 year old kid with no university, no football to worry about, no Aussie rules, we would most years for about four or five years there we came to the u.s and traveled around and obviously as you guys know november december january is pretty prime time for nfl college football nba's back on hockey kind of where we are at now so it was a perfect time and we were dumb young 21 22 year olds and when i tell the stories what we did people can't imagine that what we did people would do so we would land in lax we'd go to vegas we'd go to san fran We'd go up to Portland and Seattle for a few days, maybe Vancouver. We'd sneak over to Whistler, do some snowboarding, you know, in December, and then we'd fly to Chicago. From there, we'd head to Boston, down to New York City, maybe swing by Philly on our way down to Miami. And that's, you know, New Year's, just early January then. Wow. Down to Mexico. <laughs> we'd come back up through Louisiana, maybe go to New Orleans for a couple of days, head to Texas, Austin, or something like that. Hit San Diego, maybe Cabo if we have time, back to LAX and then fly to <laughs> fly to Australia. So we did that a couple of times and 22-year-olds, you know, on holiday traveling throughout that period of time, the only really thing that you want to do and that you can do is to find the local watering hole that has $2 PBRs and, and whatever else we can get our hands on. And for us, going to those places, every single place had 
minimum 10 televisions, ESPN, all the sports. And, you know, that was our life for those two months when we would travel. And it was a heck of a lot of fun. And that's where I picked up certainly the US sports. And, and I kind of fell for NFL and college football to begin with. And with the betting side of it, those are the, the bigger betting sports. And then when I would be back in Australia, I'd obviously follow depending on what I was doing at the time. And then that sort of grew from there and started my betting sports US type stuff. Okay, so you weren't really exposed too much to American pro sports till you kind of got to the States. Is that kind of how that goes? Like, did you follow any teams when you were in Australia? Like, oh, you know, Bulls or anything like that, Jordan growing up, stuff like that? Me, no. Some of my friends might have, but I didn't really have a team or any teams. And Jordan was one where people might follow the Bulls. Someone might buy a Packers jersey back then with Brett Favre, or there might have been some of that stuff. But generally... Generally, certainly not at a college level because of that that strong alumni presence and how it works in the U.S. We obviously didn't go to those schools. There wasn't a proliferation of Aussie kickers over here yet back then, so uh, not on a college level. Professionally, some people might have had a team. I certainly didn't. Uh, you, you mentioned all the states that you traveled to and whatnot. You're, you're here for the, the the people that are listening that can't see uh, us recording this. Uh, Jake has an Atlanta Falcons hat on, so I guess uh, you want to maybe get into how you became a Falcons fan? One of my one of my best mates, Rado, his name is, he and I traveled for one of those long stretches of time. We were jumping from hostel to hostel and sports bar to sports bar. And I think one night we were just like, we got to pick a team here. Like what, we go to these <laughs> bars, people ask us all the time. And so I think we just sort of like looked at each other. And I think at the time we were in a hostel in like a common room watching The Simpsons. And I think it was the episode where they're at the Super Bowl, which I think the Broncos play the Cowboys maybe. And one of the scenes, they're in Moe's bar and someone, I, I don't know if it's like Duffman or if it's Moe himself, but someone says, Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Falcons, like three or four times. <laughs> so for whatever reason, that stuck in my head that day, probably after we had a couple of beverages. And so I was like, all right, I'm following the Falcons. And then my, my mate Rado, he was like, all right, I'll, I'm following the Broncos. And so from then on, we picked a team and... You know, we did our best to go on lids.com and send a whole bunch of merch over to Australia <laughs> and we stuck with it. And I, you know, was lucky enough to go to the Super Bowl, even though it wasn't a winning one. And Rado's obviously been through the highs and lows of uh, Mr. Elway and Mr. Manning and a few other things, but he does have a Super Bowl. So I guess he's got one on me there, but that was the main team. And I, I've done my best to try and have another team. I remember when uh, Ricky Rubio was coming out of Spain, the NBA draft, and I followed the drafts pretty closely. And he was a player. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm on whoever, whoever picks this guy I'm following. And I was on board with the T-Wolves for as long as I could get on, but it fell away. And so my only real team right now is, is Atlanta. And I think it'll probably stay that way. That's awesome. Okay. So just to uh, backtrack a little bit, um, what did you originally go to school for? Where'd you get your bachelor's in? And um, what did you do for your master's? So Australia is a little bit different with university from high school. So you finish high school, you're 17, you're 18. You can go straight to university and do pretty much anything you want. And as 17 and 18 year olds go, you have no idea what you want to do. So I asked some few smart people and they said, just do a law degree and do a business degree. You can't go wrong if you have both of those. So I straight out of uh, high school, went to university and did both a, a bachelor of business and a, and a law degree. And because you can do it at age 18, I was done at 23. It took five years to do both at the same time. Wow. So at 23, you have a law degree, business degree. I worked in an accounting firm for those five years. So I was doing a day a week when I could or a full time in, in some of the breaks. And I realized after that, I don't want to do any more tax returns or 
superannuation or 401k here or any of that. So that was off my list. And then I got a job at a law firm at like age 22 or 23 or whatever it was. And I was doing that and I didn't love working at a law firm. I didn't love putting a suit and tie on, going to the office every day, counting six minute increments and all the different things that come with that. So at some point I realized there was a US visa that I could get. And this was after four or five of those multi-city trips that I talked about. So I had a, an affinity with the US and anything I knew about the US was pretty fun at that point. So I applied and got the visa and I came over to the US. I, I remember distinctly when I came and I guess a lot of my memories relate back to sports or betting or some of this stuff, but <laughs> I arrived in March. I had nothing to do. I was in the US. I was staying on a friend's couch. I watched probably eight hours of basketball a day and April came along. I was like, I better do something useful here. So I I applied and got into a master's program at St. John's in New York, in Queens, international and comparative sports law, which who knows what that means, but seemed fun at the time. So, you know, anything from the Sherman Act and baseball's antitrust exemptions to, um, I can't remember exactly, there was a few big NFL scandals at the time, um, back then when I was studying and things like that in the US internationally, we'd do how do you win a bid for a World Cup um, city? If, you know, you're bidding for a, I think it was LA, might have been bidding at the time. There was a few other. Paris was might have been another city. Like, how do you go through that process? The Court of Arbitration for Sport is another one we learn a lot about. And my thesis at the time, this was probably five years ago now, was legalizing sports betting in North America, which at the time was pointless and useless and still kind of is. And so I was writing about sports betting. I was a lawyer. I was having fun watching, you know, US sports and doing all that type of stuff. And I got offered a job, an internship at the time in the Cayman Islands. So I moved down there for six months, finished my thesis, finished my master's, and then Sport Radar offered me a job at the end of that. So I moved to Germany at that point with uh, with the master's in my pocket. No sports betting on the horizon here in the US. I was happily moving to Germany uh, generally to, to work in the industry, work in sports as an in-house uh, legal counsel there. And, and then things changed pretty quickly from that point. That's really awesome too. And I mean, you know, you saying that you're a college basketball fan, uh, St. John's, uh, you know, pretty big basketball program there. Did you go to a lot of games? Did you enjoy that? When I got there, all I heard was St. John's are amazing. St. John's, the history, kind of sacker, all this stuff. And so I really wanted to like embrace it. And I wanted to be like, <laughs> I have a school, I'm alumni, this is great. And I was like, I'm going to be a walk-on kicker at the football team and all this stuff. And then I realized <laughs> I don't even have a football team. And the basketball team was terrible. Right. <laughs> so I've done, I kind of like the Rubio in, in Minnesota example. I tried my best with St. John's and I just never had that hook there. So it's kind of faded a little bit. But every time they're on TV, I'll see them. My wife, uh, she went to Providence. So every now and then there's some overlap, I think, from memory, it might have been it used to be the Big East or however it was set up back then, and so there's some sometimes I'm like, oh, I have a I have the tiniest little soft spot for St. John's, and and it you know I don't seek out their games or anything like that, but there is a there is a little piece there. Yeah, I guess you missed the the heydays of Chris yeah. Mullen and uh, Felipe Lopez and uh, <laughs> Ron Artest and all that. But uh, for those people who are not familiar, why don't you explain a little bit about uh, what is Sports Radar and what does your company do? So SportRadar is probably the biggest global data company for the sports industry. So we work with bookmakers and media companies around the world. So when I started uh, in Munich with SportRadar, I was doing contracts mainly on the, the sales side with bookmakers all around the world who are buying our live data, buying our odds products and things like that. And, and then it morphed from there. And I was in Munich for what I say is two Oktoberfests, which was about 18 months. And 
at that time, SportRadar bought a US company, US data company, and that became part of the SportRadar group. And at the time, there was, there was about five or six lawyers at SportRadar. Of those five or six, they were all German except me. It was based in Munich, obviously, and they... I think we wanted to have a presence here in the U S from the legal side. And I guess I put my hand up and, or, uh, we all agreed it was a good idea. So I moved to, to New York at the time. I think I was one of two employees in New York. There was not that many in the U S back then. It was all media businesses. So we were selling our statistics and data to media companies. You know, these days, if you Google sport radio, you probably see Fox sports, you'll see, you know, Facebook, Google, these types of companies buying data from data companies like us. And, and then obviously May 14th, uh, was a big day last year when the Supreme Court struck down PASPA, which changed the the landscape for sports betting outside of Nevada, obviously. And and from there, everything's kind of exploded, not only uh, in probably all three of ours world, but just generally in the US with sports betting. So at that point, we went from a media-only company essentially in the US and globally we were doing a lot of sports betting to uh, the US now is, is obviously expanding and, and rapidly expanding across many states with sports betting. So my day-to-day now is very much focused on uh, on that side, legal, regulatory, compliance, business affairs. You've probably seen a lot of the league deals. I think you talked a little bit about that earlier. So across all different segments uh, on the betting side is, is a heavy focus. So as you mentioned, you, you had your thesis there on legalization and sports gambling. Is it weird that you look now back at all of this and here you are working in that, that type of field with, with sports betting? And I mean, were you a better at one point? How did you get into the, the kind of the sports gambling aspect of it? Were you always interested in that? Yeah, I, I certainly was. When I was younger, I would go to the racetrack a lot with friends. We'd bet, you know, $5, 10 bucks. There was a time when I think I was like 15 Thursday nights, we would go to a track called Mooney Valley, and I don't know why our parents let us go, but me, my <laughs> next-door neighbor, and one other guy, we would get dropped off at 6 o'clock. We'd watch the seven or eight races. We'd bet our five or ten bucks. We'd buy a lemonade, and from there, I think that was the start of it, and then it morphed into many different things, and um, certainly when I traveled to the U.S. and caught on with the U.S. sports, there was certainly opportunities there, and I think generally, uh, on the betting side anyway, it's a, I don't know what a good analogy is, but it's like pl- maybe Candy Crush. You go through levels of sports betting uh, and betting in general, and you start at very low level, and you're trying to worry about, all right, what does minus 110 mean? What does minus 105 mean? What you know, What's a futures bet? What's a parlay? What's a teaser to that? And then you just gain experience. You gain levels in your sports betting, and I did that. I started at a very young age and built up levels and went from pre-match only, certain horse racing to certain sports to live to all different types of things throughout those years. And then I think doing my own podcast every week, I've learned a lot from the guests. I listen to a lot of other podcasts. I read a lot of different things, articles, anything I can get my hands on to try and build up my own knowledge. Uh, I'm certainly a believer that my own show and, and most shows will only be as good as the people involved. And if their level is at a certain level, that's as good as you're going to get. And when I listen to the the sports betting podcast saying, you know, Home underdogs on Monday night are great, and this one's plus three and a half, so it's and it's going to win outright. This is awesome. That's the the ceiling for that podcast, and it it's obviously a worry if you uh, follow this industry closely. So I think the better I can be as a person, even though I'm just asking questions, and the better I can uh, talk to the guests about certain topics, I think it overall makes for a better show. Very cool. You mentioned your podcast, the Business of Betting podcast. We got a ton of questions for you uh, about that. Before we move on, just a couple more things about Sport Radar, real quick. 
Um, Because I think this is really cool. Tell us about the integrity services you guys provide as an addition. That's actually where I got started. So I mentioned I was in the Cayman Islands. I was living in the Cayman Islands working for CONCACAF, which is the federation that covers this region for soccer. So it's it's underneath FIFA. And part of my job at that time as a legal intern, even though I was already had a law degree and a business degree and I was finishing my master's, was to work on the integrity of games for CONCACAF, a lot of soccer. There was even things like beach soccer. So we worked with Sport Radar at the time and they would monitor the global betting markets to see if there was any suspicious betting activity, uh, irregularities, things like that. And they would send us reports every day, every week with uh, all the information. And, you know, 99.5% of the time there was nothing wrong. Every now and then there might be something that comes up. Oftentimes it's um, explainable or there's, you know, relevant reasons, but every now and then there wouldn't be and it would be something that would be considered by by a federation or a league. So that was where it started and, and Sport Radar still today does that, monitoring the global betting markets because of the expertise on the, the betting side, working with bookmakers, working with data, working with odds, working with pretty, pretty much everyone in the industry. It's it's something that's um, it's certainly separate from the media business, separate from the betting business. It's standalone. I think we have about 100 people working on integrity services and essentially it's working with leagues, working with different organizations, not the sports books, but working with those that, that govern sports essentially and control from a police perspective or a regulatory perspective and give them information about what's going on in the world of betting. So it's not some guy in Asia or Europe or Africa or Australia bet $10,000. That's that's suspicious. It's more like, all right, the, the line went from minus 10 down to minus two and a half. What's going on? And if Brady hurt his shoulder in the warm up, then it's explainable and it's you know, it wouldn't be suspicious. But if there was no reason for it and Brady was still playing and they were playing the Falcons, who happened to be terrible at the moment, then you couldn't explain it. And then the NFL or any league in those situations, if it was Messi, if it was a goalkeeper for the, in the Bundesliga, whatever it might be, uh, they might want to look into that. So it's a service that's provided to, to different bodies around the world. Not to get off topic on as far as sports gambling, but just going into like those examples you just provided, wasn't there something similar over the last Oscars with some sort of a director that took Twitter by storm within like an hour or two? Do you know anything about that or how that ever ended? Wasn't it like a a huge, uh, pretty much dog price and then it dropped to like favorite minutes before they were about to announce it or something? I only saw that as a sports gambling fan. I remember remember seeing it. I think someone with some notoriety tweeted that they had some inside information, I think. And then you're right, the price went from 40 to one and it just kept dropping, kept dropping, kept dropping. And then there was a few smarter people than I on Twitter saying, clearly this is bogus and, you know, this isn't obviously going to happen. And others were steam chasing or whatever you want to call it at that point and taking the six to one all the way down. And then I think it just got taken off the board. And then it didn't even win. Right? And it yeah. didn't win. So I, obviously <laughs> someone was manipulating or someone was doing something, yeah. which happens at micro levels in sports. As we know, you'll see things moving based on different things. So that was obviously an extreme example. And it, it might have been legitimate. Who knows? It probably wasn't. It was probably a bunch of small bets maybe as well as some leaked information that was actually untrue. But that's the. I think that's the uh, allure of gambling sometimes. Those things that happen like that, sometimes can be explained sometimes they can't people who are in deep let's say in the industry might have more insight or understanding but generally you talk to a regulator you talk to professional gamblers you talk to people at the oscars i don't think anyone has the real answer which is kind of the the fun part sometimes (laughs) a lot of these things uh remain unknown and 
yeah, we, we always have a thirst for control and sometimes we don't get that. And I think that brings us back to the table sometimes. Very fascinating stuff from uh, Jake Williams. You guys can follow Jake's podcast on Twitter at BettingPod. Before we get on to uh, some questions about your podcast, one last thing. What's it like to work for a company on the cutting edge of arguably the fastest growing industry in this country? It's very cool. I'm very, very lucky. And you know, I think when I started in Munich, there was probably six or 700 people around the world. Now we've probably got over 2,000. Wow. So it's, and it's still in a startup y mode with the US being an emerging market. And we talk about sports betting every day. We talk about different states, the bills that are moving, the legislation, how they're going to regulate it, what's the best way to regulate it how we work with our league partners, how we work with our sports book clients. It's a pretty cool place to be. And I love going into the office, talking to the, the team about different things, strategizing, talking about what's going to happen in the future. And, and I think we're lucky because we're kind of right in the middle. We're a data company. We work with all the sports books. We partner with the league. So we work with them. We, we obviously have the sports book clients and we talk to regulators, legislators. We try and help with information sharing and giving them the tools to make the best decisions whether it is New Jersey and other places who, you know, New Jersey's done a fabulous job with their framework and their system for sports betting and other states have tried to follow along in different ways and forms and and people have their opinions about whether the other states have done a, a better job or a worse job, but overall it's a, it's a fabulous place to be. What's your overall feelings? Because for me it's crazy as a sports fan seeing now, you know, sports gambling legalized in so many states, and now you start seeing it on the presentations of some of these shows, and you'll see it on ESPN now. They have shows catered to it, and sometimes the announcers will touch on, you know, spreads and stuff like that. Were you surprised at all? Because I know I was very surprised seeing casinos and leagues kind of forming a partnership. Was that something you saw, you know, coming to fruition a couple of years back? I mean, it kind of hit everybody by storm, it feels like. Absolutely. Early 2014, bef- certainly before the Adam Silver, Adam Silver op-ed. Right. I think that was kind of a, for us who are in the sports betting bubble, certainly those in, in the industry, that was a bit of a landmark moment. That type of person coming out, saying the things that were said, it was illuminating for everyone to see that that was how we're going to move forward from here with Adam, Adam Silver taking that stance. And then from there, I think we've taken small steps or, you know, one step forward, two steps back in many respects. But I think overall is certainly a shock and a surprise. And yeah, I think from there, we've seen much more openness, uh, many sensible conversations happening, many more reasonable conversations across the board from a, a state level. I think if you talk to regulators and legislators in, in 2013, they would have said years away. I remember I was at MIT Sloan on one of the panels. They're talking about sports betting probably three years ago, maybe. And I think someone on, the, someone on the panel said, what are your expectations for legalized sports betting outside of Nevada? And it was like the person to the left said, well, I say this every year, it's going to be another five to 10 years. And then next year, same again, five to 10 years. And then all of a sudden, New Jersey came out of nowhere, I think, in many respects. And even prior to the oral arguments, um, many smart people I talked to in the legal world were saying there's no way they're going to win. They've lost you know, the previous eight times a judge has looked at this or a or uh, multiple judges, so this isn't going to happen. And then after oral arguments, you know, I think people saw the writing on the wall. And then from there, we got to May 14th. And I'll remember that day, I was in the dentist chair at 9am and we were waiting the the Supreme Court decisions come out on Monday mornings, I suppose, or whatever it was. And that was the day that I was in the dentist chair and I got out and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, things are going to, things from that moment pretty much changed forever. Certainly from my career, certainly from uh, the US sports betting landscape. 
the moment everything changed. Yeah, I think I thought to create the podcast maybe within seven days of that announcement. What a time to be alive. What a time to be in this country. What a time to be in New Jersey. Moving on to the uh, Business of Betting podcast. How did the podcast come about? How did you uh, end up starting it up and what, what gave you the idea to do it? I don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> it's one of the, I think, so I, part of it is that I was traveling around the world a lot. I lived in Melbourne, Australia for 20 something years and then I was jumping around the US. I was watching March Madness in San Francisco. Then I moved to Dallas. I went for a weekend and stayed for four months and then I went to St. John's and from there to the Cayman Islands and then to Munich from Munich back to the US. Um, so I was bouncing around a fair bit and trying to get access to good content myself or what I wanted basically was very difficult. There was ways to do it. You know, I think I had a VPN living in Munich to get someone's cable login to watch college football and, and NFL red zone or whatever it was back then. And, and even just shows and, and trying to get information about things that I liked, which was sports, US sports, Australian sports, Australian horse racing, sports betting generally and those types of things wasn't that easy back then especially so I for whatever reason decided it was a good idea at some point to to try and do it myself and when it started I thought a I'll do it for two or three weeks and then it'll flame out and it'll be done b no one will respond and I'll have to talk with myself and c I'll you know something else will happen and it'll, for whatever reason it'll just die and I think I emailed like 10 people and seven of them got back to me in a day or so and said, love to do it. Probably never heard of me, never met me before, had no idea about what I was talking about. And from there, I think it was, might have been April 2017. And I think it's 108 episodes now. And it's probably something like 110 weeks ago it started. So it's <laughs> it's one of the most, one of the proudest things for me anyway is not the guests, not any of the other things that come with it, it's the fact that I've done it every week for 108 weeks in a row. If nothing else, that's uh, something to be proud of. 100%. That brings me to my next question. I mean, how do you find and produce so much content? You must be a very busy man. Yeah, it's. I think if you really want to do something, you just find the time. So it wouldn't be unusual for me to be up at midnight, 1 a.m., finalizing an episode. And I think if you if you're a fly on the wall for the first 50 to 60, when I had never done a podcast before, I went to a, a shop and bought a microphone and I had no idea. I had a computer like everyone else, but I had to download Audacity and I had to find a Skype recording service or plug-in and I had to, to do all that stuff. I had to buy a Libsyn um, subscription. I had to figure out SoundCloud. I had to do all, I had just learned on the fly and it just, it wasn't perfect. A lot of, some and all, some or a lot of the episodes are probably crap or poorly produced or they could be better and all these types of the questions, of course, could be better and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you just keep at it, keep doing it, head down. And, and I think if I didn't have the passion and want to do it, it probably would have flamed out. And I think I underestimated that part of it. And it's never a chore. It's I call it a side hobby and it's what I do for fun. And many of the decisions I make around the podcast are with that in mind. Um, things like advertisers and sponsors, I'm less than interested almost all the time because it's more time out of my day and week that goes away from doing the actual podcast and finding the guests and doing enough research to be credible enough to be able to talk to them and rep and respect their time because they give up an hour of their day or week to talk to me. So I never want to disrespect their time. So I make sure I'm, I'm fully prepared as much as possible. So all those things wouldn't be possible if I had different offshoots going and things like that. So some of the core principles that I wrote down on a piece of paper back in March 2017, I still follow today and help me through some of the decisions that pop up. 
It's a terrific show uh, for anyone listening out there that hasn't. Definitely check it out. As someone who who gambles on sports, it's it's a terrific show to add and learn a lot from. I mean, there's so many times I'll go back to previous episodes and listen to them again, or I'll listen to somebody like a dink or something like that who says something, and I'll fast, you know, I'll rewind back two minutes and say, "What did he just say again?" And I'll just you know keep those tidbits with me. So. It's got tremendous content. You do a great job at it. Um, is there anybody that you haven't got on the show that you're trying to, to nail down? Do you have like that grail of someone you're really trying to get on? And if you could even elaborate on that, if, if you want to keep it a secret, I totally understand. <laughs> there is one guy, and I, I don't think I need to keep it a secret. It's pro- you could probably guess, but there's, I think, who is the most interesting man in the world. Not the Dos Equis guy, but he's <laughs> really the most interesting man in the world. And there's, there's a few that get pretty close. And I think part of it for me is the allure of not being able to talk to this guy. And I would, if he said, you know, I, I see the tweets, like you can have dinner with uh, Warren Buffett or something, you know, that like pay $30,000 you have dinner with. I have no interest in having dinner with Warren Buffett, to be honest. Um, but this guy, you know, I would empty any bankroll that I did have. And I've tr- I think there was a time there where I spent literally like 30 weeks in a row. I think I read a story of someone who spent 30 weeks in a row emailing and finally they responded. So, and I would get a response from his personal assistant or someone controlling his media and she would write back, sorry, not interested. Thanks. Try again. You know, and I'm wow. sorry. He's really busy. Doesn't so on and so forth, but like literally 30 weeks in a row, I think. And I haven't had him on yet. His name is Ed Thorpe. He's the, I think he's the single most important person. If if I had to tell someone who hasn't has zero percent knowledge of sports betting and gambling and investing and that type of thing, to find and learn from one person, I would say he's the best by enough that it's that's clear. Anyone out there who doesn't know enough about Ed Thorpe, um, read his book. You know, just very briefly, he started in the uh, the card counting world and moved on. He tried to to basically beat roulette and. From there, he uh, he was very, very successful in, in the finance world and just some of the things. There's a few people who I can point to very, you know, very seriously from a learning a lot perspective. He certainly won. My favorite movie is Catch Me If You Can, and I've read that book too many times. And Frank Abagnale, he actually did a Google Talk, which is available on YouTube for anyone to, to watch. And it's a fascinating, he's just an incredibly fascinating guy. He's another one in a separate world where, you know, I learned a fair bit about money and some of the stuff he talks about even with just with credit cards and how to use them to the best of your ability based on the system and things like that but but in the gambling world ed is i think the coolest man on earth wow very cool you mentioned catch me if you can one of my favorite flicks too my favorite part is when he rolls it back into the uh, airport with the gaggle of blonde uh flight attendants Danny miami (laughs) yeah um let me ask you what's your favorite your absolute favorite thing about doing the podcast so what you were talking about before, Brock, I am very, 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 very lucky that I get a front row seat to some of the most interesting people in this industry, in this world. I am the first one to download and listen to the episodes, if that makes sense. I don't like hearing my own voice and it probably comes through because I keep questions to a minimum and try and let people speak. But I often record one or two or three weeks in advance because it helps time-wise and I can plan better and, and some people aren't available and it, it helps to make sure I have things things rolling. So like on Monday, for example, an episode will come out and it'll be from someone I spoke to two or three weeks ago. And when I speak to them for an hour, sometimes it's a bit of a blur and I don't get to fully consume exactly what they were saying, or I want to rewind and hear what Dink said again, or 
I often go back and re-listen to even some of the real early ones, and I cringe at some of the questions because <laughs> back then my knowledge was probably a little bit different than it is now. But um, I am probably number one listener as well, which sounds crazy, and probably goes to the fact that it's quite easy for me to do it every week. And I like listening back to pretty much every episode because it's from a couple of weeks ago. And I get to hear from some of these people. So guys like Dink, guys like Roxy, guys like Marco Bloom, who's the head trader at Pinnacle. It's one of my favorite episodes. There's some favorites for different reasons, but I think I'll continue to do it as long as it's uh, interesting. Um, switching gears here a little bit. You've recently wrote a couple of very fascinating articles that you have up on businessofbetting.com. One titled The Inherent Conflict of Sports Betting Media. Yeah, so I never really wanted to write articles or, or do anything in that world because of, of varying varying reasons. But I figured it, you know, if I'm ever going to do it now, it's probably a good time just to uh, start talking about a few different things that I see. And it's, it's a challenge because I think the underlying part of that piece, and I think generally in the industry, is that it's littered, certainly in the US market at the moment, it's littered with a an inherent conflict, which is what the, the title and the, the theme of the, the article was that we are all appearing to give positive expectation value information or useful information, or at least trying to. Um, but when it becomes selling picks that are by definition impossible for someone to extract value from, then we get into this conflict. If I'm Colin Cowherd and we all realize the value in line shopping, if, if, if it's minus three everywhere and you can see a minus two and a half, even if it's you know minus 112, then the, the math says you got to take that. You got to take the two and a half. But if I'm Colin and I'm on my show and I'm doing my blazing five, I can't say, you know what? Fox bets the worst of it. I like this team. I think they're going to win by seven and, you know, just take it anyway. That's clearly not the right thing to say. And But he can't say at the same time, go on, go on DraftKings and take the minus two and a half, minus 112. That's that's a good idea. Like he's he's stuck in a bit of a position. And a lot of the time they're asked, like, who do you like in this game? One of the one of the examples was if it's a Super Bowl and if it's Rams-Patriots and you, you've put the game at two and a half or three and it's two and a half or three everywhere – you're not going to find a, a place where you should be betting if you're doing this in a serious way. So a lot of those elements that are real and that are the way sports media, sports content, the way it all happens at the moment, it's really hard to do it. It's, I don't have a perfect other solution that we can just switch to. I don't know that there's any uh, better way to do it than how it's currently doing. I know that we should work towards a better way. What that ultimately becomes is a challenge because if you're talking about helping sports gamblers, you need to teach them how to fish instead of going to grab the fish and giving it to them. You need to give them good content over a longer period of time to try and generate their own knowledge base. And I think that's one of the cool things for me with feedback on mine is 108 weeks means it's a long enough period of time that if, if you've listened to every episode, hopefully you can navigate through what's good and what's less than or what's not so good and find your own way through it all and then build your own knowledge base and hopefully you can use that to your advantage. And it may be that you are like me and you've had to build up knowledge over the last decade or two decades even. Back in high school when I was at the the racetrack, I was standing in front of 15 bookmakers and I would want to bet the number one horse and it was $8, seven to one. The guy next to him was $8. The guy next to him was 850 The guy next to him was $8, dollars $9, $9, $8. And then some guy was 10 and I'd be like, why is that guy 10? And at that point, I was like, 10's the best. I'm taking the 10. I don't care. So I'd take the 10. I'd buy my lemonade. I'd go outside, 
10 minutes later, the race would happen. I'd go back out. There'd be a board up there and it would have the, the odds fluctuations. And it would be the number one was 8 to 8.50 to 9 to 10 to 11 to 12 to 13. It closed 13. It ran seventh. It ran, you know, how it was supposed to run. And I could have got $13, but I got $10 because I bet at the time I did and I didn't understand. I thought at that point I was getting the best price. But at that point in my gambling life, I was just going to look at the board and picking the best number, which is a pretty simple way. Now what I would do is I would have screens up. I'd be looking at the market. I'd be looking at on-course bookmakers, off-course bookmakers. I'd be looking at a myriad of different things. And to be frank, I'm playing a different game back then as I am now. Back then, I'm just looking at the board, picking the best number. Now it's a million different things. The same with sports. It might be there are people listening who are betting primetime games and they have one app and they're betting the side that they they might be betting that home underdog that's plus three and a half on Monday night football and they're playing that game where they log into their app and they're picking the side and they're betting it. But hopefully that person eventually will be saying, you know what, I don't need to play Monday night football every week. The biggest advantage we have is that we can bet whatever we want. We can be selective. The bookmaker has to put up every single game and you're looking at things differently. And as you go through those levels, you pick up different pieces of information, different tools, different ways to bet, ways to uh, try and make money. You might be you know, using boosts and bonus bets throughout a period of time, and then they go away one day because you're getting more sophisticated. You might be betting NFL and college football because they're your favorite sports, and then you go up different levels, and you might be betting you know, WNBA, and you might be betting Lithuanian basketball because you find edges there and you can do more things. So as you graduate through different levels, you're playing a different game. And I hope to, you know, I don't have the answers. Hopefully my guests have the answers and you can generate through those different levels, through those different games. And unfortunately it takes decades of doing this. Um, you know, I'm early thirties. I don't have all the information necessarily. I don't have all the tools and I'm sure there's others out there that have generated through those levels far quicker and at far higher levels and they're playing different games to to we are or to others but that's the beauty of this it's a it's a it's a fun game overall absolutely you touched on a lot of great stuff there uh you know especially like you said with the different uh books that you can go back and forth and this guy had this price and that guy had that price because at the end of the day that's pretty much what it comes down to just to kind of wrap things up soon where do you see sports betting in five to ten years globally and where do you see it in New Jersey, since we're in New Jersey? Well, globally today, we saw uh, Flutter is merging with the Stars Group, which is a, a pretty big deal. Two of the biggest gambling companies, so certainly sports betting companies in the world, coming together is a, is a massive thing from a consolidation perspective. Uh, not necessarily, a, I mean, it's definitely a surprise, but it's certainly not the consolidation aspect is, is not a surprise, just with the, certainly my world, legal, regulatory, compliance costs and licensing Across the globe, it's it's certainly better to consolidate that at scale. So, it's it's something that I think we'll continue to see. I think in the U.S. we're in a emerging market phase where we're going to see people enter the market, bookmakers enter the market, and it's going to take some time for them to plant their feet and then decide if they if that's the place for them. So somewhere like New Jersey, I think we can get up to around forty two skins if we maximize them out. I don't think we'll get to to that level, of course, but I think we'll get into the 20s and we'll get, you know, people planting their flag and then deciding if New Jersey's for them and whether they move on or go to other states or they stay or they merge with other bookmakers. I think we'll certainly see that moving forward. But I think globally what we're going to see is just a consolidation to a global marketplace. I don't think it'll be localized as much anymore. So even something like Australian horse racing, no one cares outside of Australia really. But I think if I'm in New Jersey betting on that, I can through TVG. If I'm in London betting on that, I probably can through 
the Betfair Exchange or even just corporate bookmakers. If I'm in, if I'm on holiday in Tanzania one day and I want to bet uh, a Mac game, it's probably possible, and you're probably going to get similar or same price as you can in New Jersey today or at that point. And that bookmaker in Tanzania doesn't want to get beaten by anyone, especially some local Jersey guy who's out there betting Rutgers games or betting uh, Appalachian State or Hawaii late at night. So I think eventually we're going to get to a point where it's it's pretty consolidated. Things are going to be pretty standardized across the board, and it's going to be harder. I think the markets are going to get more and more efficient. Uh, some of the edges and, and angles that do exist are going to certainly evolve and change. And I think I've seen from teenage years and early 20s when I found angles or thought I had angles betting and they disappeared. They took, they seem to take longer than they do now. You see now uh, examples of things that exist and then they're gone in half a season even, even a full season. And, um, you know, there's examples of people even who had a, a model with an edge and then it it went away, whether it was uh, mathematically unlucky or whether it was the edges gone, I guess we'll never really know, but those things seem to happen quicker and we're going to have to evolve quicker, be more agile as, as sports bettors. We're going to have to do things to, you know, increase our chances of winning over the long term and be more creative. And I think that's, it's a fun challenge. Very interesting stuff, Jake. Um, what about the scope of the sports gambling, like media world moving forward? We already touched on how it's uh, somewhat of a Catch-22, trying to produce content in this space, content that is, uh, you know, valuable to to sports gamblers. Where do you think we'll be in, like, five years um, in terms of, like, pregame shows? Will, will we have 19 talking heads just picking winners, or will everything that we see be geared towards sports gambling? I kind of hope not, but it might. I, it, it makes sense. It's a, it's a new vertical for a lot of businesses. They're going to look at it and try and extract short, medium, and maybe even long-term revenues out of it. So I, I kind of hope it's still, uh, it remains a little bit behind the scenes, but I think it, it will come. It'll come whether we decide to <laughs> decide for it to come or want it to come or, and how it comes. I think that's the most important part. I hope it comes in a sensible way. I think responsible gambling is an important aspect that's often lost. And even in the U S some States don't even recognize, um, gambling addiction as an addiction, which is obviously a major challenge. And so I think there's a lot of areas we need to think through as human beings to be responsible about this stuff. But from a certainly a content perspective, just the way the industry works, content in general is uh, unfortunately more towards clickbait, more towards short term, more towards those types of payoffs that aren't medium and long term, which I think is a generally a challenge. And that's why for podcasts, for shows, for whatever the type of medium it is, I think the the challenge is to try and balance that with useful long-term uh, content generation. Otherwise, we're going to see ebbs and flows. We're going to see media personalities that are hot one season and then gone the next. We're going to see a lot of that. I don't think we're going to see um, too many people stand the test of time uh, just because of the way it's produced, the way it's it's consumed. And I think people might get sick of uh, some of that. I don't know. We'll see. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope people try and build things, build content that's sustainable long-term and helps grow the sports betting marketplace in a positive way and not a negative way. It still surprises me some of the stuff that's out there around uh, just generally understood sports betting principles. It shouldn't be that hard with a five-minute Wikipedia search to understand that is represented. And I think the people representing it truly believe that it's true and accurate when it's pretty easy to debunk a lot of it. So I think the challenge for all of us is to um, to help the industry grow in a sensible way and hopefully 
override some of the more clickbait, short-term content that goes out there. But in saying that, that's an enormous task to to try and outweigh that. I mean, we know how all the other media works, whether it's news media, whether it's even politics and things like that. It's it's someone talking sensibly about things over a long period of time generally can't beat someone who's who's you know the hot take. You know, Skip Bayless is popular for a reason. Uh, the anti-Skip Bayless doesn't have a job. So I don't know how we flip that, but I think that should be one of the goals of, of our industry. Very cool. Uh, looks like we're running out of time here. Before we let you go, Jake, is there anything you want to plug here, anything at all? I know you mentioned Sloan before. Are you back this year? Yeah. So G2E in Vegas is coming up. Sloan's one of the one of the good ones up in Boston. There's some decent events. I'm usually at some of them. So if you, you are there and you can say hello, that'd be cool. In terms of plugging anything, I don't think so. No, I, I think if you're in Jersey, go to the sports books, tell us what you think, go to wager pager, go to the betting pod, uh, just engage. Be someone who's interested in the industry and wants to engage. I think that's the most important thing. We, I think we we're all at the, the event we did in Hoboken not so long ago. We got a bunch of people together and just talked sports betting for a few hours. We had some people uh, presenting some information that was that was useful, and I think those are the things moving forward as I touched on before, if, if people want to make a living in this space or a part-time living, they're going to have to be agile. They're going to have to be creative. They're going to have to be certainly curious about sports betting, about different angles and edges, about how the marketplace works. And I think part of that is knowing what came before us and how it works or currently works in many respects or how the others who are doing it or have done it for a long time have done that. So learning from other people is critical. I think that's the, the most important thing. So I would suggest people to, to be active, be involved, and hopefully help this industry grow in a very sensible way. All right, guys, that was Jake Williams. He's the VP of Legal and Regulatory Affairs at Sport Radar and the host of the Business of Betting podcast. You guys can follow Jake at Sport Lawyer AUS on Twitter, follow his show at Betting Pod, and download wherever you get your pods from. Jake, thanks for stopping by, man. It was certainly a pleasure. We hope to have you back again soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, that was a super fascinating interview with Jake Williams from Sports Radar. It's time for college football week six, NFL week five, Brock. What are you looking at in college? Uh, in college this week, Chris, uh, so far I've had a, a couple uh, couple picks that I put in already. Again, you know, I'm not the uh, the most savvy when it comes to uh, the college football with talking about it, but I do share a lot of info with a lot of smart and sharp guys out there, um, and they usually send me stuff and I trade back and forth with them. So uh, a couple games they looked at so far, uh, they do like the under in the UNC-Georgia Tech game. Uh, that's going to be on Saturday at 4 o'clock. Uh, this line opened at 51. It's down to about 48 and a half at some places. You might still find a 49 somewhere around there. And uh, from what I was told, that this uh, might be a game where uh, it's just way too high and uh, they don't expect both of these teams to pretty much put up uh, 50 where the line open, that's for sure. Um, so that would be my first pick so far this week. UNC, Georgia Tech, under 49 or 48 and a half if you can get it. Looking at the under in that game. All right, I'm looking at uh, my first college football play for this week is a Friday night 8 p.m. kickoff. I'm looking at the Cincinnati Bearcats. It's a plus four home dog. This game opened at three and a half, so we're getting a half point of value already. Cincinnati has a very potent offense, Brock. QB Desmond Ritter to uh, Alex Pierce is a deadly combination. They got 
third-year coach Luke Fickle. I've mentioned numerous times on the pod that I love third-year coaches. They got a running back number three named Michael the Truck Warner, okay? He plays some wildcat around the goal line, and the kid can fly. He has runs of over 70-plus yards this season for a big dude. I love him. And last year they lost 38-13, the most lopsided loss of the year to UCF. Give me the Bearcats of Cincinnati plus four, home dog, Friday Night Lights. What's your next play? Chris, we're going to go over to uh, game 376, Mississippi minus seven against Vanderbilt. Uh, this was another one that I was alerted on today to take a look at. Um, line kind of went up to seven and a half for a little bit. Still some sevens out there if you could uh, take a look at those. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I heard that this is just going to be pretty much a mismatch right now, they think. They think Vanderbilt uh, just not playing uh, the greatest of football. Their record is one in three right now. And uh, just looking at the bet percentages and numbers so far, it just seems to be that most of the tickets here on uh, Mississippi and uh, the money on Mississippi. So, I mean, this one could see some more uh, sharp action, get this thing up over the 7.5 again, uh, and it looks like it might get there as well. Love it, love it, love it. My second play here on the college football card is going to be, I love Purdue, man, plus 28 versus Penn State. This line opened at 24. We're getting four points of value on Purdue. QB Elijah Sindelar is out. He got knocked out last week, but the backup Jack Plummer has seen significant time over the last two years, and he looked great in the second half last week. Rondell Moore, their their best wide receiver, is going to play. He was a little bit banged up last week. Penn State could be looking ahead to Iowa next week. That's a big game for them. I always like to play these situational spots on the schedule. Purdue is by far the best offense Penn State has uh, seen so far this year. And Penn State has been struggling on third downs all season long. Give me Purdue, plus 28, four touchdowns. Very nice, Chris. And I got sent actually one a couple hours ago here, too, as well, uh, right now. And it's a big underdog. You're getting uh, almost 20, 21 points, almost three scores uh, over there. Michigan State, plus 20 and a half. Uh, I was told to take a look at the Spartans, that they might be able to show up for that game and keep it somewhat close. And, you know, with three scores... Can't go wrong there, back in the dog. Uh, I don't know if you feel comfortable enough sprinkling on any money lines or anything like that, but definitely 20 and a half, something to look at there uh, with Michigan State. Hey, you never know with the money line. That's a tough interdivisional matchup. Um, Ohio State Buckeyes have been blowing people out all year, but this is definitely by far their first test, so I like that. I like that. Moving over to the NFL, the National Football League. This is uh, Brock's bread and butter. What are you looking at here? You know, Chris, it's a strange week. Uh, there's a lot of teams that you can make a case for, and then you look at situations and you kind of back up a little bit and you say that's not really the greatest spot to enter into right now. Um, but yeah, last week was a great week. I'll be honest with you. It seemed like every game went my way, and that usually means you know enjoy it and uh, you know stay weary of what's to come because in the NFL things can change in a second's notice. Um, so this week. Uh, I got a couple leans right now that I like. I think the first game I'm going to look at here on the board is Pittsburgh uh, getting three and a half at home. I do see uh, a couple shops went to three here offshore, uh, but there are still three and a halfs out there, and I don't think that you'll find that three and a half by the time we get to kickoff on Sunday. Pittsburgh had a huge win on Monday night. Uh, you know that was big for them just to get some confidence in the in the quarterback there. Um, I think now you get into Baltimore coming now to Pittsburgh. 
Nothing I've seen out of Baltimore really this year. Uh, they beat the Dolphins the first week in Miami, and I mean, you know, everyone's been pretty much trashing them. Uh, you know, that hasn't been a, an, a hard game to play right now against Miami. Uh, then they didn't cover the spread against Arizona. That was Kyler Murray in Baltimore. Uh, they covered that game, uh, the Cardinals, and that was a 13-point spread. Uh, Ravens walked away with that a six-point victory there, 23-17. Uh, and then they played Kansas City in Kansas City. I'll give them a pass for that game. Kansas City is, uh, you know, obviously one of the elite teams in the NFL. And then uh, last week. They laid an egg against Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland beat the doors off them last week. Uh, you know, I, I think you're getting into another divisional game here. Pittsburgh's got a little bit of confidence. Um, again, don't love the spot for Pittsburgh. They were just on primetime football in a big must-win game against their division. But divisional game, catching points at home. I'll sign up for Pittsburgh right now, plus three and a half. Very interesting. Yeah, there's definitely some shops out here in Jersey where they they uh, got the three and a half up right now. I'm looking at it on my laptop. Might have to tell you there, dude. My first game I'm looking at here in the NFL. Call me crazy, but I like the Colts plus eleven versus the Chiefs. You know, uh, Jacoby Brissett's been playing okay this year. I think the Chiefs are uh, somewhat due for a little bit of a letdown. They've been flying on all cylinders all all season long. Give me the Colts plus eleven. Um, this is a pretty much a gut call for me. I don't really love the card this week, but this is the one play that sticks out to me. It's uh, almost it's over a touch and a field goal, 11 points. Give me the Colts. I could definitely sign up for that one as well, Chris. Uh, I think the Colts have been playing great football with Jacoby Brissett. And again, I don't think the Kansas City defense is anything to write home about. Uh, Jacoby did well last week, uh, even in a loss against uh, the Raiders. And I wouldn't be surprised. That was a tough spot last week for Indy. But uh, they're going to get primetime football here on Sunday night. And uh, I think Indy can definitely show up for that game, especially catching uh, 11 right now. Uh, another game, Chris, I'm going to look at here. Um, if you're looking for an ugly, ugly dog this week, uh, I hate to say it, but just looking at the numbers, it's it's really ugly and it's tough uh, to get to the window with this one. But I might have to take a look at Washington on Sunday. New England last week played a really, really, really physical game with Buffalo. That was That was like... Two defenses just going at each other. Josh Allen left the game uh, early with a concussion pro- protocol there uh, he was in. Uh, Brady didn't look himself. There was just a lot of big hits in that game, and they played a pretty physical game all the way for four quarters. So I think they roll into Washington now, and then don't forget, they're playing your Giants on Thursday Night Football next week. So I don't know if they're going to run up the score here in Washington, especially if they're a little banged up and they're, they've had offensive line injuries all year, as I've, I think I've addressed uh, already on previous shows. Um, Washington now makes the full-time switch to Haskins. He came in uh, in a tough spot last week against the Giants on the road. Uh, they benched Keenum, I think that was, after, what, the first five minutes of the game or something like that. So I don't know if he was exactly ready for that. Now, granted, he's going to have to go up against one of the toughest defenses in the NFL right now uh, in the New England Patriots. They've allowed one touchdown so far this season, and it was on a, a fourth-and-one quarterback sneak last week in Buffalo. So... He's going to have his hands full, but also, too, if this team responds to Haskins 
and Gruden, who could be gone if he loses this game. There's already that he's you know rumors that he's out of there. That he, his seat is the hottest right now. Um, so I think if anything, Washington maybe shows up for this game uh, at home on one o'clock, and uh, New England's got to get ready for Thursday night football with the New York Football Giants. So again, it's ugly. I don't love it, but just from a, a pure spot standpoint, you're getting 15 at home. Uh, you might have to take a look at Washington. Hey, man, sneaky good play there. I mean, I kind of like it. They haven't announced who's going to be playing quarterback yet. Uh, you know, you never know if they're going to bring back Case Keenum. It might have just been like a punishment thing. Right, right. Benching him. I don't know if we'll see Haskins again. He did look like total shit last week. Yeah. And again, it's it's a tough matchup. You're playing one of the top defenses in the league right now. New England's been just wreaking havoc on quarterbacks this year. They certainly have. All right, speaking of the New York Giants and next week on Thursday football night, Thursday or next week on Thursday night football. I'm going back to the well, man. I know I'm a homer. I've been betting the Giants this week or uh, this year a lot on the podcast. Plus five and a half at home versus the Vikings. You know, um, I'm not a big Kirk Cousins fan. The dude is so mediocre. I think the Giants defense is playing much better the last two weeks, especially they're in the secondary. Giants plus five and a half with Daniel Jones, second game at home. I will even sprinkle the money line there again, two to one on the comeback. Give me the Giants. Very nice, Chris. I can uh, definitely see that you're getting uh, points there with the home team. And who knows what you get out of Kirk Cousins. He's had a really bad season so far. Uh, and last week, I don't know if you saw too, uh, what was it, Adam Thielen came out post game, said we have to learn how to start throwing the ball and this and that. So things could be getting uh, dicey there in Minnesota. And the Giants are playing with a lot of confidence now since Daniel Jones took over as the quarterback. Um, but he will have a pretty good defense to play uh, this week at uh, MetLife. One more game real quick, Chris, I'm going to look at um, leaning right now towards the Denver Broncos. This team has puzzled me all season so far. I haven't been able to really cash any tickets with them. But the one thing I will say, you can look at the stats, you can look at the box scores, you can look at the games. This team isn't as bad as their record indicates. I really thought last week was the home run spot for them. I really thought that they would have left uh, with a win there at home for Vic Fangio. But Gardner Minshew came in, uh, stumbling in the end there. Somehow the Jaguars leave the field with a W, and they're on the road this week into Carolina. But uh, Denver, I think this is a divisional game. The Chargers are all banged up. Nothing I've seen also out of this Charger team merits this this spread. I mean, this is a rivalry game. You're playing a Denver team who has a good defense and just needs to really get something going their way. I wouldn't be shocked if Denver goes into LA, wins outright, and uh, puts the Chargers in a in an interesting spot next week, uh, getting slapped in the mouth here by uh, Denver. Woo, juicy. Might have to look at Denver. Well, we are out of time on this week's episode of the Wager Pager podcast. Make sure you Bet those games and beat those lines and cash those tickets. Get pumped. Get psyched. It's the Wager Pager Podcast. That's it for Season 2, Episode 7. Special thanks to our guest, Jake Williams. Thanks to my co-host, Brock Landers, and the guys here at Van Boris Films. And, as always, good luck, happy handicapping, and may the gambling gods look gracefully down upon you. Thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Don't forget to leave us a review. And please tell all your friends about the Wager Pager podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Wager Pager. 
Also, if you or a loved one has a gambling addiction, don't be scared to seek help. You can contact the National Council on Problem Gambling at 1-800-522-4700. They're open 24 hours a day and all calls and text messages are confidential. Here we go. The Wager Pager podcast is co-hosted by Chris Rogers and Brock Landers, executive produced by Van Vorst Films, edited by Van Vorst Films, co-produced by Chris Rogers and Brock Landers, created by Chris Rogers and Mercedes Barba. Music by The Morose Project, produced and written at San Francisco Music Studios. Logo designed by John Carbonella. All picks are for entertainment purposes only. These plays are not financial advice.